Welcome everybody to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. This is the third part of a four-part series with Merle Burkholder. In the previous sessions we've talked about why I believe or why you believe in Christianity, why you believe in God. I'd like to go now to the way some specific beliefs within that. Why are you a Mennonite? The reason I am a Mennonite is I look at the spectrum of Christianity and in the same way that I looked at is Christianity really true, I've looked at the church and different theologies in the church and saying, well, what's what's really is the best way for me to live out my Christian faith? Walter Beachy has given four basic elements of Anabaptism, early Anabaptism, that really resonate with me and are why I identify as a Mennonite, as part of the Mennonite church. One is the um, Biblicism, simple and literal. Like We look at scripture and say that's what it says and we want to do what scripture says. And so we use that as the basis of our faith and practice, what we believe and what we do. Second is that discipleship is the essence of Christianity, that mm. it's, it's more than just kind of a mental statement of faith. Really, there, there are two paths and, and there, there is the straight gate, but the straight gate opens onto the narrow way and, and the straight gate doesn't open onto the broad way. So when you enter the gate, you're also on a path and living out our faith really matters and it's part of being Christian is that, that we do become disciples of Christ and followers of Christ. And thirdly, that the Mennonite church is, is a disciplined believer's church. It's membership is voluntary and, and coming out of the time of the Reformation, you know, everyone in Britain was Anglican, everyone in Germany was Lutheran, everyone in Switzerland mm-hmm. was Reformed, and so you became part of the church by where you were born. And for us, the whole concept of church is, no, it's, it's because we choose to be part of the church. There's an accountability, there's brotherhood that goes along with being part of the church. And so I, choose, I voluntarily become part of it, and, and I'm accountable for how I'm living out my faith. Christianity isn't just about a vertical relationship between us and God, but it's also about our horizontal relationships and, and other people matter and other believers matter. And, and so I have not only the Holy Spirit, but sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to me through the brotherhood. And then probably the biggest piece for me, there's a fourth point that Walter had, and that is uh, peace and nonviolence in human relationships. The concept of two kingdoms and that there's the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world and that my allegiance is to the kingdom of God and that is where my identity is as a child of God. We are ambassadors for Christ in this world but our our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. I, the, the whole um, merging of the church and politics and the merging of church and state and where is the, who's dominant and is like when there is where there's overlap, does the church take priority or does the state take priority? And, and for us as Anabaptists, it's like two separate spheres there. It's, we can practice our faith. It doesn't matter if we're living in a democracy or dictatorship. It's like we can live out our faith in whatever political system we're part of. So, so the political system is kind of over here on the side and it affects us and, and we pray about it and we're, we're interested in what's happening, but that isn't what's going to change the world. That's and right. 
And so the, the police force, the military, they can suppress chaos and they can suppress violence by having bigger guns and the threat of more violence. But you don't solve any problems. All you do is push them underground or you push them below the surface. The gospel of Christ comes in and actually transforms people's lives and then the problems are solved and then you don't need violence or the threat of violence because life is really working for people and it, and it changes people at the heart level. In reading scripture, I, I just don't see where you can take the instructions that we have in scripture well, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, and Jesus' instructions on how to treat our enemies. And I just don't see any asterisks there that say, except for the military, or except when your country calls you to fight, then you can go kill people. And I just couldn't be part of a church where it's God and country, and, and we are doing God's work by going into the military, and especially when you, when you get into wars where there are Christian people on both sides are people who profess Christianity on both sides and we're killing people that should be our Christian brothers and sisters like it just I just don't it just doesn't compute for me I just I, I just don't see any um, any justification for a Christian to be involved in the use of violence and force even in in the military when you look at the just war theory and the 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 things that the church developed as criteria to determine whether a war is just or not, and that Christians can only fight in a just war. But the problem I have with the just war theory is that none of those criteria in the just war theory are based on scriptural things. There's, there's no verses that say, well, if there's not going to be a slaughter of civilians, civilians are going to be protected, and if there's a just cause, if there's no scriptural basis that says, yeah, in that case, you can, you can kill. The other flaw that I see in the just war theory is that the church, on both sides of major world conflicts, the church has never used the just war criteria and then wound up saying, no, this is not a just war. Mm -hmm. So it's always been a just war because nationalism overrides our perspective and so the church always winds up saying it's a just war. So if you have a set of criteria that's supposed to produce an answer, either yes or no, mm -hmm. but you always get the same answer, you would say, well, there's something, there's a flaw in the criteria because sometimes you should get a yes, sometimes you should get a no, but because the just war theory always produces a yes and sometimes on both sides, it just seems like it's, it's a flawed way of, mm -hmm. of deciding. For me, I, I just really appreciate being a part of a church that has calling to be part of the kingdom of God and to have that as our primary allegiance, where we pour our energies into making real change in society and, and changing people's hearts rather than getting involved in the political affairs of the day. Because quite frankly, the world's not going to be changed through better politicians or better, a better legal system or a better school system. Yeah. The world's going to be changed by people turning their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And I want to be so busy doing that that I don't really have time to worry about what's happening in the earthly kingdoms in which we live. And I think that when you look at Jesus and you look at the Apostle Paul, they lived in a pretty repressive system. The Roman mm -hmm. Empire was not a, a godly system. But neither of them promoted revolution. Neither of them said, let's get some Roman senators 
that are Christians, mm. and let's try and change the role. Let's try and Christianize the Roman system. Mm -hmm. what, what they, they did is they were subversive to the system, so they did the stuff that you weren't supposed to do. You're not supposed to enjoy carrying a soldier's pack and take it a second mile. And I think we as Christians, we're the kingdom of God. We're this yeast in the bowl of dough, and we're we're kind of affecting the whole system, and we're doing it by being subversive and and. You know, the whole economic system is designed that the people at the top get richer, the people at the bottom stay where they are and they work and produce the goods that are consumed by the people at the top. And so now we're born in North America, we're born in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. But when we take money and take it back down to the bottom, we're being subversive to the system because the system's not supposed to work that way. When you're at the top, you're not supposed to care about the people mm -hmm. at the bottom. But when you actually care about the people at the bottom, and you take money back down there and you help the people at the bottom to have opportunity and access to capital, now you're subverting the system and the world system doesn't know what to do with that. But you have to get yourself, you have to get yourself out of a nationalistic perspective and you have, to, you have to somehow get beyond being a citizen of a nation, a physical political kingdom, and you have to really be aware of your, your citizenship in the kingdom of God to be able to do that and to step beyond nationalism, then you're subversive to the whole political system that exists in the world. And you just, yeah, then the whole thing where, where Paul says there's no longer any Jew or Greek or whatever, male or female, like we're all one in Christ. You just, mm -hmm. you just break down all of those barriers that society puts up and you reach across those. And, and I think that um, our concept as Mennonite people of peace and nonviolence and our allegiance to the kingdom of God being the primary allegiance is something that I, I really think it's, I, I just, yeah, I, that's what I, that's what attracts me to the Mennonite church as where I put myself in, in the spectrum of Christianity. And historically, uh, with the early church and in the Reformation, those elements were present there within the predecessors of the Mennonite church in the Anabaptist yeah. groups. It's that's been a key component there throughout history. Absolutely. And the only time Anabaptism didn't work was in Munster, where they tried to be a political kingdom. It, it, was a, it, was, it was a colossal failure because our system doesn't work if we try to be the political kingdom and if we try and rule a territory. It, that's not what it's about. And the leaders of Munster misunderstood that and thought they were going to bring in the kingdom of God as a physical reality, a political kingdom. It did not work. So what you're saying is that uh, or what I'm hearing you say is that the the primary draws for you is that being a, a Mennonite is a place where you can follow Jesus as a disciple. You're a follower of Him. It's not something you just say. It's not something you just do on Sunday. But it's a lifestyle. It's right. it's something where lives have been changed and it allows you to live that out in, in a yeah. biblical way. And the dream is much bigger a denomination. It's much bigger than a political kingdom like all those things are small ideas, but the kingdom of God is just big idea in the world. So the idea isn't so much that the Mennonite name isn't what you're falling under, and that's the thing. It's more of a label in the bigger picture of I'm following Jesus and advancing his kingdom. Right. Yeah, it's the kingdom of God. And I think the Mennonite church has a good understanding of the two kingdom mm -hmm. theology. So, yeah, I'm not about promoting... Mennonite denominationalism so much as promoting that allegiance to the kingdom of God. And I think the Mennonite church has a good understanding of that.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. For more information, you can go to our website at anabaptistperspectives.org, where we have a blog, and this material is also available in video form on YouTube and Facebook, both under the name Anabaptist Perspectives. This podcast is also available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Anchor. We would love to hear your feedback, so if you have any thoughts on something that was shared on this show, please let us know. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.